Anyone else's kids caught off guard on Halloween? My daughter and stepson trick-or-treated, went up to a house, and the lady asked if they knew who Jesus was. They had to say yes in order to get a piece of candy. Then they got a speech about Jesus coming back before they could leave after getting candy. This was posted on a neighborhood website, you know, one of these neighborhood uh, bulletin board kind of things, you know. This was posted by a, a concerned mom in Tualatin. Withholding candy from kids unless they can tell you they know who Jesus is might not be the way you and I would evangelize. I mean, I know I wouldn't do it that way. But listen to some of the responses to this post, which tells us who are the people in our neighborhood. Jen from Lake Oswego says, so creepy when people force their beliefs on you. Amanda from Portland says, it's 100% inappropriate to talk about Jesus to children who you do not know. Well, phew, Amanda, I'm glad I know the preschool kids then. Sasha from Portland believes preaching religion to children who you do not know makes you a creep. Bianca on Bull Mountain says, My kids would have said no to the Jesus candy and moved on. They don't tolerate manipulation or coercion. Kay from Oregon City says, My daughter would have fled a house of such delusion and perversion. Sabrina in Tigard says, that is beyond inappropriate. Halloween is a pagan holiday. What is a Christian doing trying to force the word onto children on a non-Christian holiday? <laughs> to me, this is just outrageous with the way people are getting with COVID. <laughs> what does any of this have to do with COVID? I mean, this goes on and on. Most of these responses are laughable. At the same time, they're Pretty good indicator, I think, of the community that we live in. Only one person, though, one of the hundreds of responses to the original post, one guy says this in defense of the practice of evangelism. Peter from Snyder Park says, Christianity is one of the three major proselytizing religions along with Islam and Buddhism. If this woman is giving Christianity a bad name, then so is the Bible, because there's plenty of encouragement for believers to spread the word there. She's just doing what she believes her faith requires of her. Well, thank you, Peter. You know, Peter's only partly right in that this woman's faith doesn't require it of her as much as it is an outcome of her faith, right? Much like Fruit from a tree. Where have we heard that before? But I think you get the sentiment here. One neighborhood social media website isn't going to give us a complete picture of our community, but it is a snapshot. When I asked the preschool kids if they knew who Jesus is in chapel last week, they said, yes. They know who Jesus is is they know he was born in Bethlehem. They know Jesus walked on water. They know Jesus blessed children. They know Jesus brought dead people back to life. They know Jesus is coming back, all because the Bible tells us so.
So if someone asks you, do you know who Jesus is? You can say, yes, I know who he is, and he is coming back on a white horse. Let's take a closer look at that. The book of Revelation, well, you know, we often avoid it, don't we? (laughs) It's avoided by Christians sometimes because it's a vision put into words. And so the images and the meaning of these images, they're tough to comprehend. And it has the unfortunate reputation of being too doomsday-ish, you know, too much destruction. Okay, but Jesus is all over and all through this book. His voice speaks in the first four chapters. If you've got one of those red letter Bibles, you know, where Jesus' words that come out of his mouth are in red, well, the first part of Revelation, it's all red. And in various other parts of Revelation, Jesus is seen by John coming back from the heavens. Yes, there are swords and there's blood, and there's fire, and there's smoke, and there's destruction. A startling comparison, wouldn't you say, to the leaving our footprints in the sand as we dance together on the beach type of Jesus of popular Christianity? Jesus, whom John speaks of, rides in as a mighty warrior, victorious in the battle over sin, death, and the devil, to bring you and me back to life, and bring us home. Our reading, chapter 19, starts with a hallelujah chorus. Ten times more magnificent than the hallelujah chorus in Handel's Messiah. And the words are much different too. When we sing Handel's hallelujah chorus, we don't sing about a smoking prostitute. You know, and you're not to picture a lady of the evening on a grungy street corner smoking a cigarette either. This is a different kind of smoking prostitute. This great prostitute John sees in his vision is the harlot of Babylon. She represents the false church on earth. And she is in cahoots with the beast, the devil. They are both anti-Christ and therefore are doomed to be swallowed up in the lake of fire. So that's why she's smoking. And the chorus of saints, including you and me and all the angels too, are singing hallelujah as she's sizzling on the rotisserie. Now, who is the false church? What is this? Well, the false church is those who look and sound to be Christian on the outside, but are not on the inside. They're deceivers who intentionally draw people away from Christ and are against Him. So you're thinking, I I can see the wheels turning already. Oh, who might this be? Is anybody in our church? Well, I hope not. I pray not. But you know that Christian church is much bigger than St. Paul and Sherwood, right? And there's lots of Christian churches who are under scrutiny for their false teachings and uh, unorthodox. heterodox beliefs, the false church, right? So this chorus celebrates the readiness of the bride. The bride is the true church, that is, all the believers throughout time 
They're prepared for marriage to the Lamb, Jesus. And this chorus also celebrates the invitation to the wedding itself. Remember the reading you just heard from Matthew, that the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding reception. The bride of the Lamb. The bride is the communion of the saints of God, the church. That's you and me and all believers. We are prepared for the celebration, the reception. We've been invited, and we come. But God has judged the great harlot, Babylon, you know, the one who corrupted the earth and the church with her immorality. God has judged her not fit to attend. She showed up with no dinner jacket. And you heard how it went for the guy who showed up with no jacket either. Now the harlot smolders in the lake of fire, never to threaten or hurt you again. You know, vengeance is not something we don't like. It's not something we like to associate with God and Jesus because of his loving compassion and his loving attributes, particularly his loving kindness shown to us, even while we are sinners every day. His mercies are new every day. But vengeance does belong to God. For he alone has the right in his truthfulness to punish the enemies of his people. So if we continue reading, we hear that there's a second hallelujah in this chorus. So what's this one about? Well, while there's no sizzling harlot in these verses, there is a crescendo or an encore in that the judgment of Babylon, that great prostitute, is final. It's complete. And we're familiar with these 24 elders and the winged creatures because, you know, we've heard about them before on Sunday throughout our church lives. These elders and these creatures are strange, no doubt, but they affirm the hallelujah chorus by falling to their knees and worshiping before God on His throne. We really need to move on, though, to the white horse in the time we have. So perhaps I'll spend more time on this chorus during the Bible study uh, in a little bit. Now, have you ever had double vision? Yeah, maybe some of you have. Well, John has double vision of a different kind. If you recall, at the beginning of Revelation, John sees a doorway to heaven open up. And Jesus calls down to him from up there. He says, hey, come up here and see the things that I have to show you. Well, now all these, you know, as he's still in this vision, John sees another door to heaven open up. It's like a dream within a dream. And he sees Jesus coming to begin the events that will happen at the end of this world. Christ's return is the conclusion of the mission which began with his birth in Bethlehem. During his first arrival, Jesus completed his mission of offering himself as the payment for the world's sin. And he also set in motion the church's worldwide mission of making Jesus known to people and baptizing them, which, by the way, is also a means of preparing his invited guests for the wedding reception. So, you and I have been prepared for the reception in our baptism. So, when Jesus returns, 
That's the end of chapter 1 of the history of the world. Then begins chapter 2, which is life forever on the new earth. And when he returns, he returns mighty, victorious in battle, in triumph to claim his spoils and his rightful rewards. He alone has the right to judge humanity on behalf of God the Father and determine the ultimate destiny of every last man, woman, and child ever born throughout the, the history of the world, from Adam to the last person conceived at the moment of his return. Doesn't that just give you the chills? What an awesome, incomprehensible spectacle that's going to be. And you and I are part of that multitude. The Lord Jesus Christ comes in truth and righteousness to judge and make war against his enemies and those of his people. He's got a sharp two-edged sword and he wields it to execute judgment upon the earth and casting out all the false prophets, false churches, and the beast and the harlot who deceived them into hell forever. John sees Jesus' eyes like a flame of fire because nothing is unknown or hidden from such searching, searing eyes. No enemy of God will be able to hide from him on the last day. And he's wearing kingly attire. Get this. John sees Jesus riding in on a horse with, he's got many crowns of jewels on his head. <clears throat> now, try to picture that. He's not wearing just one crown. He's got many diadems. These are crowns laden with jewels. What, what's this got to look like? Man, they're going to be all stacked on top of each other, falling off. All, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. If we were to go back a few chapters in Revelation, we'd hear about something else that John saw that would be comical if it wasn't so serious. See, earlier on, John was allowed to see the devil, a dragon with seven crowns and an, as another beast coming out of the water with ten crowns. So that's, what's ten plus seven? Seventeen crowns. There you go. The devil's got these crowns on and he's boasting as if to say, I'm the Lord of the universe, I'm in charge. That's what he sees. So when Jesus returns later on, he's got all those crowns on his head as if to say, give me those. Those are mine, not yours. I'm in charge. I wear them, not you. Well, I think we're getting a better picture now of what the vi these visions are meant to communicate to us Christians. They can be terrifying in their awesomeness, especially when they depict Judgment upon God's enemies. But unless you are one of God's enemies, you needn't be terrified of God's judgment upon you and your fellow Christians. For you and I have already been judged worthy of eternal life by means of Jesus' death and resurrection. And we're not going to be waging battle on the last day against the enemies of God. He's got that field under his command. He will protect us as he wages the last battle as a hen protects her chicks 
under her wings. So when someone asks you, do you know Jesus? Well, you got a lot more in your arsenal now to answer, yes, I know him. He's the mighty one. He's the victor over death. He is the savior of my soul. He's the rider on a horse on the last day, and so on. That ought to get you a few extra pieces of candy from that lady in Tualatin next Halloween. More importantly, though, Jesus knows you too. And he comes to you today at this table in his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sin. Not only that, but all the believers who have gone before us and the angels will partake in this meal with us. It's a foretaste of the wedding celebration in heaven that is to come, that you have heard about and that is promised to you. So may it come quickly, Lord. May you come back soon, Jesus. Now would be a good time, but in your time, as you have promised. Amen.